This is Paul Gallant on 710 ESPN Seattle. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. At Gallant Says on Twitter. Text into the show at 710-710. Hello and welcome aboard the Paul Gallant Show on this August 10th, 2021. A Tuesday. I am Paul Gallant. This is the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle. We want you to stay tuned all day long or giving away Four packs of Mariners tickets in each of our shows. Listen for your cue to call, and you can win four tickets to this Friday's Mariners game, Mariners Fireworks Night, when they host the Blue Jays, and then light up the night sky to your favorite tracks from the 1990s. Find tickets at Mariners.com. So on Sunday, we heard a lot coming out of both Pete Carroll and Russell Wilson about what the Seahawks are looking like going into their first preseason game on Saturday against the Las Vegas Raiders, and as we get closer and closer to the actual kickoff of the season. And this year, I think we're finally going to find out if more control for Russell Wilson is a good thing. Everyone's been asking for it. Everyone has been pleading for it, at least on the internet. There is a militant group of 12s that believe that Russell Wilson can do no wrong. That Russell Wilson, if given complete command of the offense, could be a Death Star unlike the NFL has ever seen. And maybe that's true. Maybe it's not. Honestly, we don't really know. But it was interesting to hear Russell Wilson talk about how in this offense, compared to the Brian Schottenheimer offense, with Shane Waldron, Russ has a little bit more freedom to change things up whenever he wants. I think that we, we've I've always been able to change the play for the most part, you know, along my my career. I think you know, Shadi allowed me to call the plays and stuff like that, the line of scrimmage when we needed to. I think the emphasis of being able to do it all the time, you know, all throughout the game, you know, is the key. I think that's a little bit different, you know, in that sense. But you know, I, I think that I have freedom, obviously, you know, for sure. Uh, I think the fun part is we have just so, so much that we can do and so many reasonings and so so many whys to it. Uh, I think this is what's really been really exceptional. Tyler Lockett had suggested in an interview, I believe it was Friday, that they've gone from being able to switch into 15 different plays or so under Brian Schottenheimer to now 40 to 50, which is pretty incredible. Now, is that too much? I don't know. That's a lot. That's a lot to have on the table for any single play at the line of scrimmage. I'm not going to act like I know the intricacies of making changes, making pre-snap reads, and then, of course, changing the play at the line of scrimmage and communicating that to your offensive line to your wide receivers, to your running backs, and those guys actually picking it up. But it does seem, like with Shane Waldron, that Russ is going to have a little bit more input on a down-to-down basis than maybe he had before, which I'm sure thrills Russ. And it thrills the people that want to see Russ have more say. Honestly, I want to see Russ happy. I feel like if Russ is at his happiest, that there's a good chance that he could be theoretically better this coming season. But there's also some skepticism here. Because this is, it sounds like the... First time where the reins are comparatively going to be loose. With Brian Schottenheimer, I don't think that they were. With Daryl Bevel before that, I'm not sure that they were at all comparatively. So now you look at him and you wonder about how he and Shane Waldron are at the line of scrimmage. What's that communication going to be like? What are those, I guess, change-ups at the line? How are they going to come to be? Here is what Russ had to say about that and about the page that both he and Waldron are on you know the the, the extension of of me and Shane is you know really as you guys 
probably saw some today early on is just the ability for him to call something and then me to be at the line of scrimmage and go to something else if it's not the right look and this and that and just to be able to play super fast in that way and get us to the best play and best situation. And there are several examples in, the, in today. Um, you know, and so I just think that that's, that's a really good thing. And we're, we have, we're on the same wavelength on that sense. Wavelength. Ooh, that sounds fancy. It makes me think that maybe, just maybe, there's a chance that Russ maybe has the same kind of relationship that Jared Goff had with Sean McVay, though obviously Sean McVay is going to have a lot less trust in one Jared Goff and clearly had no trust at the very end to the point that he pulled him for John Wofford. But for those who remember, when we talked about conversations about the Rams offense, when we talked about conversations, when we talked about the Rams offense back in the day, there was this idea that Sean McVay is going to be in Jared Goff's headset until the last 15 seconds and that they're going to have an ability to see through the coach's eyes and through the quarterback's eyes on a play-to-play basis, what's available and what can be switched into. And I'm not sure that that necessarily was there with Russell Wilson in the past. Maybe it was. But I'm intrigued by the idea of a mind meld of sorts that could involve a relationship similar to that one. Because you obviously trust Russell Wilson a little bit more than that, whatever your skepticism might be in giving Russell Wilson more control. But I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that it's better over 17 games. I don't think it's a foregone conclusion. There are going to be growing pains for sure. I don't think any of us should overreact too much to what we see the first couple of weeks of the season, whether good, just based off of last year, or bad. But I do wonder about it. I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that this thing is going to work like that. Peter King had an article about the... Seattle Seahawks, a little tidbit, because he did visit them. I think it was was last Wednesday. And he had a couple of interesting passages in his Football Morning in America column, I believe. Wilson looked like he was coaching more on the field and taking charge. With new offensive coordinator and Sean McVay disciple Shane Waldron upping the football modernity on offense from dismissed offensive coordinator Brian Schottenheimer, Wilson seems to feel more open to telling receivers, for instance, exactly where they should be on a given route. It's a little like the way Tom Brady felt free to be a coach on the field in Tampa Bay last year. If you're Russ, and that's a new feeling that you've had for the first time in a while, yeah, you're feeling great. And you would think that Russell Wilson, who maybe isn't on Peyton Manning's level as far as being able to do all those things at the line of scrimmage, I mean, Peyton changed the game when it came to quarterbacks even being given the the ability to do that. Or Tom Brady, who I think became that guy as his career progressed and obviously is right now. Because those guys had, what, I mean, years of wisdom on him. But I think he's getting better and better with it every single year. I wonder what he is going to be like. Because it does feel like, yeah, there is a little more control given his way this year. I mean, by default, it should be better, you would think, right? If, if, If there's less of a governor on him. But that's where I start to have questions, and basically it's about just some of the things that Russell Wilson maybe didn't see towards the end of last year. Whether it were passes that were right in front of him in the intermediate. From time to time, I would say uh, uh, defensive coverages, like, I don't know, cover two. Was he not as good at reading those before the play? Did he actually read them and he wasn't allowed to switch out of them, which I know is something that we have heard from from Jake Heaps that – is potentially a 
anchor on Russ? What was it? What was it about last year? So I'm intrigued. And I'm I'm not gonna go so far as to say excited, but this is good, I think, for the Seahawks and for Russ going forward. There's a lot at stake, but I think both are gonna find out if Russ is really on that level as far as being sort of a football savant and if more control for Russ is definitively going to lead to better things. That is my question of today's show. Because Sunday, Russ said that he has more freedom at the line of scrimmage with this Seahawks offense than he did last year. By default, is that a good thing for Seattle? We had former offensive lineman and former first-round pick. He played for the Seahawks, and you hear him all the time on 710 ESPN Seattle, the Seahawks post-game show as well, pre-game show. Ray Roberts, he joined us earlier, and he had some really interesting comments about Russell Wilson, specifically that this offense is going to change his role, where he's not going to have, from the sound of things, so much resting on his shoulders. Here was Ray's explanation. I think this offense will allow Russell to be the playmaker and not be the play. Mm. Because I think um, being the playmaker means I'm going to get the ball to the dudes because you have all these weapons now. You can't say you don't have weapons. You can get the ball to the guys that can make plays. And so and in that sense, you're being the playmaker because you're getting it to them. When you're the play, that's when you're holding on to the ball. That's when you're running all over the place. That's when you're all the off-script plays, which you know you want Russell to still have that in his game, but you don't want that to be his game. You don't. This offense sounds like it's going to allow him to be a point guard and not have to get into hero ball at the end if we're going to make a basketball comparison. That's what I heard when I heard Ray talk there. I think the real question, though, is going to be if the playmaker is going to be enough in this offense for Russ. Is he going to take what is given to him? Which sounds a little bit check down Charlie-esque for the entirety of a game. Is he always going to make the smart play or is he going to from time to time be the play because that's what he's been for the most part to this point in his career he has been someone who can make incredible things happen by extending the play and I'm not sure he can quite extend it the way he used to be able to but that has always been one of his biggest assets to a point where I think at times he relied on it and we've seen other quarterbacks do this too this is not just a Russell Wilson thing we've seen Aaron Rodgers become this guy we've seen Ben Roethlisberger become that guy guys who hold on to the ball a little bit too long, who are looking to make that play happen. Or in the case of Aaron Rodgers, where it felt like in the later uh, years of the Mike McCarthy era, he was just like, yeah, I'm not even going to run this play. I'm just going to do what I want. We're just going to freewheel it, sort of the same way that Brett Favre had done it back in the day. Is that what Russell Wilson's going to be? So that's my question for today's show, 710-710, on the Mac and Jack's Brewing Company text line. You can also tweet at Gallant says. Is more freedom at the line of scrimmage, by default, a good thing for the Seattle Seahawks, at least as it pertains to Russell Wilson? This hour of the Paul Galan Show is brought to you by Advanced Hair Restoration. Our training camp coverage is brought to you by Precore Home Fitness. I will be back out there today. Right now, it's time for What's Trending, brought to you by Kings Heating and Air with Maura Dooley. Maura, what is going on? Hey, Paul. You sounding better every day? I hope I sound better. Today, I feel pretty raggedy. In terms of, I, I, I don't think that there's any, uh, my throat feels extremely dry. You ever had that feeling before? Like, I yeah. think that all the allergy medications that I have taken are working perhaps too well right now. 
just it's just completely dry. My mouth, my throat, it's weird. Well, you sound a lot better. Thank you. Friday was a situation. Oh, my goodness gracious. It was bad. <laughs> All right. Well, the national media are starting to weigh in on the Dwayne Brown contract situation. And PTI's Tony Kornheiser uh, kind of let Russell Wilson have it when he gave his opinion. So let me get this straight. Russell Wilson did indeed spend the offseason saying that his offensive line was terrible and was going to get him killed. He insulted the offensive line, and then he insulted the franchise. He had his agent go to the franchise and give him a list of four or five teams that he'd happily be traded to, including your Chicago Bears at one point. And now he is saying, we, let me get the quote right, we need to get this deal done. We, you, we, are you going to pay any of this money? You're not going to pay any of this money. You now, you want the Seattle Seahawks to make sure you're okay. If I was this offensive lineman, I think I'd feel good that Russell Wilson was trying to get me money, but yeah. I also remember that he basically said, we stunk. That's a thought that crossed my mind. But on that same front, it's a make good by Russ. It's having right, it his off. It would be off- worse if he just didn't support him even now after everything, right? You're right, Maura. I think he had no choice but to, and especially when asked about it, but to stand behind Dwayne Brown. He had to. Because he didn't stand by the offensive line during the offseason. And look, I understand why. It was just the way that he did it is something that obviously was going to rub some of those guys the wrong way. They got better last year. It was factually inaccurate to suggest that it was all the fault of the protection. The offensive line improved from the year before, and he took his his fair share of sacks against that cover too, which for whatever reason, he just was not able to pick apart in the same way that he can pick apart other defenses. But yeah, that's a thought that went across my mind, much like it did across Tony Kornheiser's mind. I mean, it wasn't that long ago. But now, okay, now you want to see Dwayne Brown get paid. Well, I don't think anyone thought that Dwayne Brown was one of the guys that Russell was calling out. We all know how good he is, but that doesn't mean that he didn't take exception to it because they're a unit. Right. Dwayne Brown's in charge of that unit. They're closely knit. And... I would say that an offensive line probably looks at itself in the mirror, and Ray Roberts could probably speak better to this than me, but you're the sum of your parts. If the guy next to me is not good, then I'm not going to be good. If the left guard or the center or something like that, like you are affected by what the guys next to you do, and that's why it's so important to have cohesion and also why it's important that there's a little more continuity this year than there was maybe last year on the line. But the problem is with the lack of depth, There definitely are some questions, especially now with Brown not at practice. Up next. All right, Danny uh, found this for us this morning. It was interesting to take a look at where the Mariners stand right now. Um, There are seven teams competing for six playoff spots in the American League. The Mariners are the eighth team. According to baseball reference, Seattle has a 1.2% chance of making the playoffs. The Yankees, who are seventh, have a 22.1% chance. Cleveland, which ranks ninth, in the AL has a 0.9% chance. That is quite the jump from Seattle to New York. And it makes you bummed out about this past weekend. It makes you bummed out about what happened in Texas. You lost two or three to Texas. You lost three or four to New York. And along that entire stretch, I mean, there were many games that you could have won. Many games that you could have won. And yeah, you know, you, you, you won two or three against Tampa Bay in between, sandwiched in between, but you blew leads in five of your last nine games and you just couldn't score runs where 
in your last five games, four of them you scored three runs or less. 1% is probably an accurate reflection of the Mariners' playoff chances. Trade for something more than what they got. No trade for Kendall Graveman or not. Like this was this was where they accurately stand as a very long shot to make the playoffs. And I know some people just wanted to see the playoff streak snapped, but that's not how this team should be operating. You want to give yourself a big-time chance to actually win championships. That's what Jerry Depoto said that they were going to do. If you want to have a team that was like the team that you saw in 2018, yeah, you could have it. Maybe if they made another move, they would be on that front. They would be a little closer. But are they going to be any closer than maybe being one of those teams that's competing for the last wild card spot? Probably not, which is a bummer to admit, but it's true. They're one of the worst offenses in baseball. I'm Paul Gallant. This is the Paul Gallant Show. What's trending with Maura Dooley? Brought to you every single morning, 1015 by Kings Heating and Air. 710-710 on the Mac and Jack's Brewing Company text line is how you text in. You can tweet in too. At Gallant says 206-421-3776 is how you call as well. Russell Wilson said he has more freedom at the line of scrimmage with this Seahawks offense on Sunday than he did last year. By default, is that a good thing for Seattle? You get to answer that next. It's your chance to be heard. Your voice, your opinions. It's time to be heard. Every day at 1015 with Paul Gallant. Be heard. 710-710 on the Mac and Jack's Brewing Company text line. A text. This comes from the 509. Why not both, Paul? Why could he not have both options available to him and how could that not be better i'm assuming this means more freedom at the line of scrimmage i feel like there is a chance that maybe russ runs into some of his old habits which are to look for the big play and i feel like that's what's been great about thus far in training camp which has me feeling good about the offensive installation is that there really seems to be a concerted effort by this offense to get the ball out quickly. But is that going to continue into games? Say the offense stalls, gets stagnant, which will happen at some point this year. Is Russ going to stick to the process? A process which, by the way, maybe wouldn't work. Or is he going to say, you know what? Time for me to take the wheels. Time for me to take us out of autopilot. Autopilot might be a little bit strong with him in charge as it is. It's time for me to make some magic happen. That's what I wonder about. Does he get a little too cutesy? I think it's possible for any player to feel themselves a little bit too much. Any quarterback in the NFL, any shooter in basketball, and I think that's something that you just have to keep in mind if there is more freedom for Russell Wilson, that could be a potential drawback. 710, 710, this texture continues. It's also factually inaccurate that he said it was all on the offensive line. That is correct, but he definitely softened his role in all of it. Because when he was asked about his role in the extended plays that lead in sacks, he's like, yeah, well, we also throw touchdowns. It's like, well, yeah, but that also results in sacks. So you can't, you can't have it both ways there. But I get what you're saying. Why would it be bad, asks this texter who's continuing, to also look for the big broken play? Why is it one or the other? Okay, I think I know where you're going here. Yeah, I guess it's not one or the other. 
but I do think that more control at the line of scrimmage could lead to something that he hasn't done a whole lot of in the past could lead to mistakes at the line of scrimmage. And I, I'll just say that I, I have some more questions about Russ's ability to read things at the line of scrimmage than I did going into last year. I, I used to think he was, you know, de facto one of the best. Last year, if, if they were running into all of those issues against those defenses, was it really just because they couldn't switch out of plays? Like, there were plays that were open to the Seahawks over the middle, down the stretch, and he just didn't see it. Was he not looking for it? Was he looking for something more than that? That's, that's what I wonder about. Uh, 710-710, Mac and Jack's Brewing Company text line. Good text there. Russ wants to be the man. He wants the big splash plays. It won't be pretty. More sacks to come. I think that is an extreme way to paint this situation. I, I think as the last texter points out, there's, there's going to be a little bit of both. It's just a matter of, is he going to pick the right decision in those moments? 710-710. Stop, Paul, with your wet blanket self. Eh, I am who I am. Another text. 710-710. Giving, up, giving Russell Wilson more freedom. I bet we're going to end up with more interceptions that will equate to more close losses. You saw more interceptions last year as it was. That was, I think, probably the most surprising development for me last year is that Russell Wilson actually turned the football over a lot. I always thought of him as one of the most careful guys in the league when it comes to taking care of it. And last year was a little bit less, but it did feel like they were trying to go for those home run balls a little more. Was that because the defense was so bad? Because they did have that stretch where he had 10 turnovers in, I think, four games. Specifically, them being in three of those four games. 7-10-7-10 on the Mac and Jack's Brewing Company text line. Here we go again. Death taxes. This person always thinks that I that I blast Russ. He literally said he needs to get rid of the ball faster. Where did I blast Russ at all here? Questions. I have questions about his ability to operate with more freedom. Who wouldn't have more questions about it? Russ is somebody who clearly feels like he knows the best answer to everything. And you know what? He's a he's a superstar quarterback. Of course he's going to think that way. But in thinking that way, do you sometimes get a little bit too arrogant? Do you get a little bit too much ego and sometimes overlook things that are, are right in front of you? Or don't see things that maybe an offensive coach that's been doing this for a while, though maybe not at the NFL level, is going to be able to see? Are you going to ignore them? It's not rush bashing. bashing. There's just questions that you would have about any quarterback in the league. He's not the almighty one. Tom Brady's not even the almighty one. Look at Brady in the last couple of years. Yeah, he won a Super Bowl. Has he been the Tom Brady that you remember? Week in, week out? Just completely dominant? He's had some good weeks, no doubt about it. But, you know, there's only one quarterback that is venturing close to that these days. It's Patrick Mahomes. And I guess Aaron Rodgers, based off of what you saw last year. But they all have their own faults. They all have their own warts. Russ has them too. Asking questions about him is not bashing Russ. But some people just want to hear what they want to hear. 710-710, that's the Mac and Jack's Brewing Company text line. If you got a question for the Gras, he's going to join me in the sports pit next. 710-710, what did he make now that we're a week away from all of those trades and the way that things went for the Mariners over the weekend against New York? We'll talk about that and more next. Don't go anywhere. It's 1030. And that means it's time to get in the sports pit. In the pit where all that stuff goes down, and if you don't have some freaking toughness, 
You're gonna get your. You're gonna. You're gonna fail with Paul Gallant. And before we get to the garage, brought to you by Mac and Jack's Brewing Company. Free stuff. Free stuff. You get free stuff. We want to send one of you to Friday's Mariners game. So. Right now, call 206-421-3776 or 866-979-3776. In one minute, if you're listening on the radio, in 30 seconds, if you're on the stream, caller number three, you win four tickets to the Mariners' 90s fireworks night. That's this Friday, August 13th. Stay tuned to 710 ESPN Seattle for your next chance to win. The Graz joins me, and Graz, I saw a tweet by you. Over the weekend, uh, or I guess it's from yesterday. So after yesterday's great performance by the Mariners, I got curious and looked up their record since the Graveman trade. 37 innings pitched by the bullpen, 36 strikeouts, 13 walks, 0-4, 4.86 ERA, 2 saves, 4 holds, 5 blown saves, 2 in that extra inning Yankee loss, and they're 4-8. and eight. Uh, I, I guess that you don't like the Kendall Graveman trade still. <laughs> well, I was just, I, I was, I was saying that without comment, as a matter of fact, because if I really wanted to make a point, I you would have it. done it the day before, because that, they, that one, that included four scoreless innings and six strikeouts against the Yankees. Ooh, nice. Believe me, the number the day before looked much worse. So you hurt your cause. And, you hurt your take. Well, yeah. <laughs> oh, it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't really a cause necessarily, but, um, yes, it, it uh, the, the the raw data, twelve games in, they haven't been winning, and you can't blame that entirely on the bullpen. Of course, it's 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 not hitting, but but the bullpen has not performed well since that trade was made. We talked about this earlier this morning about the percentage chances that the Mariners have to make the playoffs, and right now it's at one point six percent. I don't know if a series win over Texas and a series win over New York would have changed things. It's definitely still eating at my craw that they were not able to, at the very least, split with New York given the, th- the way that things were. But mm-hmm. that's probably an accurate representation of where they were, where they're a good team, they're overachieving, but with the stretch that they have ahead, which is 21 games against Boston, Oakland, Houston, and Toronto combined, it, it does feel really hard to believe that this team that just can't score is going to be able to keep things up in a way where they're actually going to maybe at the very end of things be able to pull something like they did in 1995 and fight their way into the dance. Oh, yeah, it feels like a wait till next year uh, vibe, most definitely. And, and the Yankees series did that because, you know, literally, as we know, they could have, like, I mean, they could have swept that series. They could have won all those games. And, and um, you know, at least three or four, you know, was, was, was quite reasonable. And, and, no, it didn't happen. And, and uh, you know, you just kind of, you kind of felt the, you felt the vibe going the other way, and you know, eight of the last twelve they've lost, and and they just, I agree with you. You just don't feel it, even though you know you're still looking at adding Kyle Lewis, you're still looking at at uh, adding uh, adding Sheffield back, and hopefully he's he's better and shows the form that he showed last year. But nah, I mean, had you had you won those series, I think it would feel a little bit different, especially if you had taken three out of four from the Yankees at Yankee Stadium. Uh, you know, I think that would have been a, that would have been a big step, but uh, alas, it was not to be. The Graz is with me in the sports pit, and if you got a question for the Graz, 710-710 on the Mac and Jack's Brewing Company text line is how you can send one in to ask one. This is something we touched on earlier today, too, but we didn't really dive in deep into it. Okay. It is interesting, Graz, that Jerry DePoto, Scott Service, there's still no deal done. We're not even hearing mm-hmm. about any progress. What do you think could potentially be holding... Mariners management, the front office back from making this commitment. And we don't know if there's negotiations going on in the background. For all we know that there are, right. th- there might be. But it, it it is weird how quiet things have been given that this has been 
a surprising and fun year for this Mariners team where they've actually been competitive. Well, you can speculate that it, that it may have had to do with not having a president in place, and now you do have a quote-unquote president in place. But, you know, let, let's keep in mind this is not a front office decision. This is a John Stanton decision. Mm. Uh, you know, he's, he's the one who's going to pull the trigger on, on this. So it, it's conceivable that he, he wanted to have a president in place before he did that. Uh, um, you know, I, I could speculate on that. I have already said, and, and even these last 12 games hasn't changed my mind, I would have given DePoto an extension already. I mean, you, you just clearly look at the, the young talent that's performing already, you know, at the major league level, the young talent that's just a notch away. You know, it's a franchise moving in the right direction, not the wrong direction. I mean, I think all these things are, are, are pretty clear, as disappointing as, as the last couple of weeks have. And, and like I've said to you, I mean, DePoto's the one I'd hire. I'd give him the, the you know, he's, he gets to hire the manager. I mean, that, that's part right. of his purview. Um, I still kind of expect it to happen, but um, it, it's, you know, the only thing I could speculate on why why nothing has happened is is the fact that they didn't have a team president in place, and he may have wanted some fresh eyes to, to look at the situation, and in that case, then uh, it's stuff that we don't know. I mean, if, if he's not, it, it may be, maybe interpersonal relationships aren't good. Maybe DePoto's got... got with, with people in the office that that uh, have been that have been relayed to Stanton and and I'm just speculating here but just st- stuff like that that's that's not out in the public is, is the only thing that would I think prevent it from happening looking at looking at things from a baseball standpoint from the way we can see it I mean you've seen a guy who is is actually has has done what he was what his, what his task was to do now look you, know, you give him a contract extension and if they fall off a cliff next year he's gone so I mean, it's not like you you give him a three or four year extension and then and by the way, there's no way he'd leave if, if anything didn't work out. He still he still knows that that this is a team that's got to make big strides next year. Everyone has said it. I mean, everyone is on the line. There's no backing off it now. So you know, I, we'll see how long an extension that he that he does get. That that I guess maybe we won't know that, but um, if we do find that out, it'll be interesting to, to see. But I would expect before the year is out, Jerry Depoto will get an extension. This is the listener question of the day. It comes from Deanna on Twitter. It is for you, Graz. Gallant just said that the Mariners have one of the worst offenses in baseball. Yeah, I do think that. You guys need to clarify this. Is it bad because we have the wrong guys, or is it because six in every lineup have fewer than 600 or 200 at-bats? Can they prove this year in time that they could be better by the end, or is this something that we're looking for more reinforcements on, is I think what Deanna's asking at the very end of that question. Uh... I think that's a good way of putting it. And look, you've got some some young guys who have come up during the year. Obviously, Kelnick, you know, you, you're you're looking at him, and and he's a guy who you expect to be better as time goes on. Same, and he's playing uh, well right now. I mean, that's been I think that's yeah. the best thing that happened this weekend. He looked pretty good outside of you know getting ejected because he couldn't shut up on Sunday. That was pretty bad. <laughs> yeah, that, that was that was that was definitely lesson learned. But- hopefully. Yeah, yeah, definitely, hopefully. But look, Cal Raleigh the same way. I mean, he's a switch-hitting catcher. You know, you expect him to, to make significant strides offensively next year. I don't think that's an unrealistic expectation. So, you know, that that's part of it. And, uh, you know, you've seen other guys move forward a little bit in J.P. Crawford. And, and look, uh, you know, Kyle Lewis, who was their rookie of the year last year, is a guy who hadn't even had a chance to play this year. I think you've been impressed with Hanniger. I, I, look, you got to remember the thing about, you know, Paul's line about having the worst offense. It, it's not by a lot. There's a lot of bad offenses out there, man. True. A lot of them. The Mariners aren't good, but but very few teams are good. So 
Um, that's a, it's, it's a baseball trend to a degree. In my, my opinion, it has to do more with having young players who, who you're looking at improving next year than, than the latter, than just not having guys who can hit. Graz, you did tweet before you came in, wild baseless accusations. So, I, I feel like we got to take a look at some of the umpiring that took place this weekend. Is there anything that could actually be done about bad umpiring? Because there were some really, I felt, inconsistent strike zones, and not just for the Mariners in their series against New York. It's easy to get all conspiracy theorists and tinfoil hat when you're playing the Bronx Bombers <laughs> and things aren't going your well, going your way. But man, the strike zone in particular this weekend felt like it was all over the place. And in these close games, it feels like it has a lot more of an impact on the way things that play out. Don't know what they're waiting for. I mean, they 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 don't need umpires to call balls and strikes. They haven't need umpires to call balls and strikes. I expect that to, expect to change within a year or two. Uh, I think they're 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 at least experimenting with it down in the minor leagues. Um, I, I think that the, the having having it called automatically based on on the computer technology we have right now, like they do it in tennis tournaments, is overdue. Should happen. So there, your, your solution is to have umpires stop calling balls and strikes, and and that will happen. I mean, that that will happen. It will happen sooner than later. But until that does happen, there is nothing you can do about it. It's nuts. Is there like an umpires union that's racketeering or something like that? Like it's feels that way sometimes, man. You got some guys who are absolutely horrible at it. I mean, they're just it's like they're, they're doing it with, with one eye closed and their head turned away i mean it's it's some guys that are absolutely absolutely awful at it and uh, i'm afraid nothing can be done until until uh, you know a big change is made and to me that's the change that's going to be made you, you're still going to need umpires for for plays at home and things like that but you know i think you know having having it called electronically as time has come yeah i would like to see that too i'd also like to see actual replays up on the screen and up on the jumbotron when they might expose an umpire as being i don't know blind but that's just me that's just me maybe someday we'll I'll, we'll see all of these changes that we needed baseball <laughs> you, you you ready for a baseless accusation throw it you know why um you know why the the, the seahawks haven't signed their key free agents yet why's that bob stelton See, baseless oh, accusation. I Absolute like that. baseless. There we go, Graz. I love it. I love it. Appreciate it, man. We'll talk to you on Thursday. Okay, Paul. That is the Graz, everybody. Brought to you by Mac and Jack's Brewing Company. Question of today's show on the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle. Is more freedom for Russell Wilson at the line of scrimmage definitively good? We would think so at face value, but are we sure? Look at my voice is cracking all of a sudden. We'll talk about that and wrap things up next. You're listening to Paul Gallant. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio. Every day at 10 on 710 ESPN Seattle. This annoys me. Paul, everything annoys you. Well, this is a bummer. From Tom Palacero of the NFL Network, the NFL's annual rule change in points of emphasis video notes game officials have been instructed to strictly enforce taunting rules in 2021 Two violations results in automatic ejections, Mora, with fines and even suspensions in play, too. I suppose there is a line that you can cross, but I'm of the belief that if it's entertaining to me, that it's good. Does it take away from what takes place in a game? If a player taunts another player, I suppose it could start a fight or something like that or a skirmish, but it doesn't usually. 
I think most people know the rules of trash talk. If you get beat, you can't do anything about it. You just got to take it, and you hope that you get another opportunity to get your vengeance. This is lame. I thought they were getting away from this stuff. I mean, it's 2021, and if you are trying to continue to have a stranglehold on the United States and interest in the sport, it makes sense to be as, not to be kid-friendly, but as millennial and post-millennial, what, Generation Z, friendly as you want. Taunting's good. I love taunting. And if you don't, you know what, and if, 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 it, if it is something that you can't stop, then tough bleep, it's your fault. All on you. That's lame. That is lame to see today. Uh, the question of today's show on the most interactive sports talk show in Seattle, Russ says he has more freedom at the line of scrimmage with the Seahawks offense than he did last year. By default, is that a good thing for Seattle? Text in, to think that he didn't have freedom before is a joke. Remember, let Russ cook. This has been a thing. Waldron is just giving him freedom in new ways in a more complex scheme. That's a pretty accurate representation, I think, of, of what we believe is happening. No doubt about it. But how is Russ going to work with it? And there was this idea that I guess Russ had a little bit less control down the stretch last year. If I'm Russ, I'm on the field. If things are going the way that they're going against the cover, too. I think there are some people that would make the argument that, yeah, how about, how about you uh, unplug from the auto from the uh, governor, you take off the restrainer bolt and you let this guy do whatever he wants. I, I understand that argument. I'm not sure it necessarily would have worked out so well. Uh, a couple of texts. Both of these have to do with the end of Super Bowl 49. Was Russell Wilson absolutely, absolutely forbidden from changing the play at the line of scrimmage in their second Super Bowl against the Patriots? Another text. If Russ had full control at the line of scrimmage, we would have been back-to-back Super Bowl champions. Yes, give him all the control he wants. Because if he fails, he can't blame anybody but himself. Now, that last part, I feel like, is something that Pete Carroll and, and, and the Seahawks organization probably are thinking to themselves, all right, you want the control, well, you better prove that you, you, you can do it. And they probably have some faith that he could do it, otherwise they wouldn't give it to him. But to go back to the end of that game, I actually watched back the replay. The clock was running after Marshawn Lynch got the handoff. I think the play ended with about 106, and then the actual play, the interception, I think there were I think there was 26 seconds left in the game when the pass was thrown. So the clock was running. I don't know if the Seahawks thought that the Patriots were going to call a timeout, but it did feel like there was a little bit of what the heck's going on by Seattle out there. I got to watch it again like I guess on NFL Game Pass, but generally if the clock is running and you go to the line of scrimmage, you're going to go to the line of scrimmage with a clear play in mind. And I don't know that you're going to audible out of it as the play clock dwindles and you're on the one-yard line, especially given this team's propensity since then and probably back then to be called for delay of game penalties. Like, imagine if that happened in the Super Bowl. My goodness. The same way that it happened against the San Francisco 49ers at the end of 2019. Oh, my God, I would have lost my mind. I would have thrown something. Definitely would have thrown something. Probably broken my TV. Nothing drives me more crazy than when this team gets called for delay of game penalties. I don't know what it is, but there's just like, oh, what? How do you not see the clock? Someone needs to be in Pete's ear. Someone needs to be in Russ's ear. Keep an eye out there. Uh, 710-710 on the Mac and Jack's Brewing Company text line. <laughs> Paul, it sets a bad example for young football players. Well, look, I think young football players, 
they can find plenty of bad football. They can find find plenty of bad examples. This you can't really hide anything. I would imagine it must be really difficult for parents these days. Like, how are you hiding anything from your kids now? Seriously, like, what what can you really do? I mean, if you give the if you give one of these kids a a, a smartphone, they're gonna figure out how to use it like so quickly, and they're gonna be able to find whatever they want to find. So you think that like NFL f- football players doing a dance that's gonna set a bad example for kids? They are finding worse things. Just my wild guess. Things were so much easier for our parents when they at least had a stretch where, for me, for Mora, where we did not have internet. And we did not have the ability to do whatever, find whatever we wanted. But then when we found it, oh boy, that was it. There was no going back after that. Football players as bad influences, I, I just don't buy that anymore. You know, like, the, you can find whatever you want these days. I'm Paul Gallant. This was the Paul Gallant Show. Hope that you guys enjoyed it. Thank you for texting in. Thank you for tweeting in. Thank you to the Gras who stopped by in the sports pit earlier. Big thanks to Maura Dooley who produces the show every single day. I'm going to be out at Seahawks training camp later this afternoon. Jake and Stacy is next. So long. Farewell. Have a wonderful Tuesday.